0: On Thursday, the Cleveland Browns made Baker Mayfield the fourth former Oklahoma Sooner to be taken number one overall in the NFL draft, joining Leroy Selman, Billy Sims, and of course Sam Bradford. If you listen to our draft preview show, you'll notice that Mayfield's selection came as a surprise to us. Lee and I both assumed that Baker would be selected by the New York Jets third overall. However, on Thursday morning, news began to break that Baker Mayfield was the Browns guy bucking the conventional consensus that the Browns were deciding between Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. Almost immediately, the hot takes from the media started to pour out from every crevice of the internet. The analytics community overwhelmingly supported the move. College football journalists were excited but cautious, and the Mayfield haters widely panned the news, almost in a gleeful way because he was going to the Browns. Lee and I have broken down ad nauseum on this show, why we think the Mayfield haters are wrong. But when you add the Cleveland Browns to the mix, it's understandable to see where some people are coming from. The Cleveland Browns are the premier losing franchise in all of American sports, arguably. In their 19 seasons since rejoining the NFL, they have finished last in their division 15 times without winning it. They have made the playoffs only once in 2002 with a record of 9-7, and have not finished with a record of 500 or better in over a decade. They have a laundry list of embarrassing first-round picks throughout the history, and oh yeah, they just became the second team in NFL history last year to go 0-16. Not good. The amount of ineptitude in that franchise isn't even the full story. You could go on and on not just about the Browns, but the city of Cleveland in general as it relates to professional sports. The point is this. The Browns have a unique culture of losing and toxicity. Good news is, they brought in the perfect guy to change that culture. If Cleveland is smart, they will fully hand the reins of this franchise to Baker Mayfield. This fall, I regularly argued that Baker Mayfield showing up on campus after the 2014 season was arguably the best thing that had happened to the program in a long time. Lincoln Riley was added the next spring, and, and the rest is history. Before Mayfield showed up, I think we would all argue that the program had hit a stale patch. There was just something off. The culture of the program seemed to be shifting in a negative direction. Now, obviously, these are comparing apples and oranges a little bit, but Mayfield has proven he's able to step into a program and change the culture. He's done that. I believe Bob Stoops recognized this pretty early on and rightly started to remake the program in Baker's image. Lincoln Riley has obviously carried that on. Here's the bottom line. On a pure football level, the Cleveland Browns just made the right choice, period. There's not a single thing that Sam Darnold does better than Baker Mayfield on a football field other than being two and a half inches taller. So I give the Browns credit for filtering out the noise and taking the better football player. They did. The next test for this franchise will be whether or not they have the stones to give Baker Mayfield full control. If they do and they should, Browns fans might get an entire career of what we witnessed in Norman the last few years. Browns made the right choice. I truly believe that Baker Mayfield is the only one who can turn Cleveland around. I guess this season we'll see if he's as good as we think. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. First down
1: from the 45. Earl Johnson is off to the races and long. again nobody in the secondary they're loading up they had seven guys on the line of scrimmage the secondary took the outside round expecting the the option on the corner and there is no option on the corner it's straight it's straight ahead and boy he just exploded he's got good speed up through there mm-hmm. and Kingo touchdown he's over 200 yards he has just scored his fourth touchdown of the day so big Earl is making up for what he missed during his career
2: for all those A huge game from Earl Johnson welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. As you heard there from legendary announcer Keith Jackson, Johnson rushed for 203 yards and four touchdowns at Kansas back on November the 1st, 1986. OU beat KU that day 64 to 3. For Johnson, it was an extra special day for him because as a fifth-year senior, he broke out in a big way, earning Big 8 Offensive Player of the Week, this coming after back-to-back injury-plagued seasons in 1984 and 1985. Since it's May, we're showcasing former Sooners who wore the number 5, which is why Earl Johnson starts off the month as our intro player. So I want to do something a little different at this point of the show. Normally, I go over all the Facebook stuff and the email. Forget that. Let's just bring Grant right back in, jump into things, not waste any time. Uh, I think the hot take of the week went so well last episode that we should do a segment or do that segment right away today. How do you feel about that, Grant?
0: Feeling really good about it, Lee. Kind of licking my chops. It involves Colin Cowherd, and I love taking him to task. Big fan of Colin Cowherd, but he says some really stupid things sometimes. Uh, I'm really excited Lee. And I also do want to note here, um, and this I mean this, this might be, be heresy to some of some of the older Sooner fans maybe in the audience who are listening. Lee, I have no
2: idea who Earl Johnson is at all. So here's the thing. I'm glad you brought that up actually, because I was going to try to find a spot in the show to mention. I kind of like that we do that for the opening tape because I had never heard of Earl Johnson either. And so what that did, me going back and trying to find a player who wore number five who we could showcase, I go online and there's a nice database that has all these former Sooners. And I saw Earl Johnson played for OU for all these years. I thought, OK, who's this guy? So I looked him up, saw how he's a running back. He played really well his freshman year. He was actually, if I think I got this right, he was part of the recruiting class that brought in Marcus Dupree. And I'm sure you are aware of Marcus Dupree Grant because they did a thirty for thirty on him.
0: Yeah, I knew about Marcus Dupree even before the thirty for thirty. He was kind of always a legendary figure, that like a unicorn figure on the old uh, the old OU message boards, old OU Insider. People used to talk about Marcus Dupree all the time. That's how I that's how I first learned about Marcus Dupree. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's cool. I think it's it's. I'm, I'm a guy who who really is not. I'm not particularly versed in college football history. My. My my college football knowledge basically begins in the year 2000 and goes until today. So it's, it's never a bad thing to to be kind of taken to school
2: a little bit. You know, Grant, I'm just uh, looking. Okay, never mind, never mind. I was going to say, I think you're still live on Facebook, but you're not. Okay. Uh, back to Earl Johnson. So anyways, point being is uh, I found out some mystery about Earl Johnson. So he played... As a freshman, had a really good season, and then he had a couple seasons where he he had he got injured. He had a kneecap thing, which sounds terrible, so he basically didn't play for a couple of years. And I think he missed out. Uh, missed he played, but it was injured, so he wasn't really part of that eighty-five team that won the national championship. And then, as a fifth-year senior in eighty-six, he was more of a fullback, and he uh, he had a kind of a coming-out party against KU there, and that was part part of the intro. So, uh, anyways. That's your Sooner History lesson of the day for those of you who did not uh, know about Earl Johnson. But back to the the task at hand. Now, the hot take this week actually goes very well with the first topic we're going to discuss. So this should be a seamless transition. But before we get to that hot take, I just want to point out that it would seem that the Browns GM, John Dorsey, and Browns head coach Hugh Jackson are big fans of West of Everest because they certainly took our advice last week. Drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Grant. And by doing that, the Browns selected the best quarterback in the draft. Now, again, I thought you did a pretty good job explaining all of the happenings of last week in your opening take, Grant. So let's talk more about the Browns taking Mayfield. Here are my thoughts on the matter quickly. I'm happy the Browns took him. Like Grant said earlier, we both thought he was going to the Jets at number three, but that was before all the reports came out on draft day. The Browns were leaning towards Mayfield. I was worried about the Jets taking Mayfield because I don't think that's a great situation right now for a young quarterback, which I'll explain why I think that later on in the show. I'm glad the Browns took Mayfield because Cleveland's offensive potential is really good right now. Todd Haley is the Browns' new offensive coordinator. He's had a ton of success in the NFL. Cleveland's offensive line was actually a strength for the Browns a season ago, although future Hall of Fame left tackle Joe Thomas has retired, so that's not good. Still, the Browns were considered middle-of-the-pack according to Pro Football Focus, last year on the offensive line, which is surprising for a team that went 0-16. Mayfield will have guys to throw it to. Josh Gordon, if he stays out of trouble. Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, and maybe even former Baylor Bear Corey Coleman will turn out to be a solid player. Cleveland also has some solid running backs. Carlos Hyde comes over from the 49ers. Honestly, though, I'm not sure if he's any good. I watched a lot of Carlos Hyde last year because he was on my fantasy team, and I was not surprised. Not impressed. He didn't look like he was very dynamic. But uh, anyways, Duke Johnson, I think, can be an extremely, extremely poor man's Joe Mixon because he can catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. Obviously not as big as Joe Mixon, though. Probably not as fast. Duke Johnson is actually pretty fast. And also Nick Chubb from Georgia, we've all seen him play, and he's got the abilities, I think, to be a nice early down back in the NFL. So all things being equal, and basically I'm saying if you overlook the horrible culture of losing – The Browns provide the very best situation for any of these young quarterbacks who have a shot to start early. Aside from Mayfield, that's Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen. Those are my quick thoughts, quick on Mayfield and the Browns. But one person in sports media would certainly disagree with everything I just said there, I'm sure, and that's, of course, Colin Cowherd. Now, as we've stated many times here on West of Everest, we both think Colin Cowherd is fantastic, incredibly talented, really good at what he does. So even us paying attention to his takes, obviously a lot of credit given to him because we 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 put a lot of stock into what he says. However, as we all know, he's not a fan of Baker Mayfield, at least when compared to Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. Coward thinks Darnold is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. He's been saying that for a couple of years now. Coward also said that Darnold will be the first pick in the draft because he's the best quarterback in this draft, clearly something that Uh, We on this show do not agree with. So, without further ado, here is the hot take of the week Colin Cowherd on the Browns drafting Baker Mayfield at one, and then Denzel Ward from Ohio State at number four.
1: It's not that Baker Mayfield will play eight games and just disappear, it's that the Cleveland Browns had two of the first four picks and did not maximize either. Denzel Ward will play for many years. I think Baker will hang around for a while. But when you have the first and the fourth, you take the best offensive player and the best defensive player. And on no board except Cleveland's was Denzel Ward the best defensive player and Baker Mayfield the best offensive player. Again, Johnny Manziel, I called bust. Tim Tebow, I called bust. Baker will win some games. And this is the way the world works, where people have no interest in getting it right. They want to be right. So when he goes like 4-12, and 12, you'll, of course, credit Baker as being a wild success. And in Cleveland, 4-12 and 12 these days is. But they didn't maximize an opportunity that you almost never get in this league. The chance to get the best offensive player and the chance to get the best defensive player. And they failed with both.
2: That was Colin Cowherd on the Browns taking Baker Mayfield at one and then Denzel Ward at four. Grant, I talked a bunch before we played that hot take by Cowherd, so I'll give you the first crack at responding to what he said. Well,
0: first, I wanna, I want to say, I mean, this is, this is kind of a momentous occasion of what you know, what Colin Cowherd is advocating here for. Um, he, he's advocating that the Browns shouldn't even have taken a quarterback in the draft. He's advocating that the Browns should have taken Quentin Nelson or Saquon Barkley and Bradley Chubb. That's what he's advocating for um and i'm i'm kind of just just giving him a hard time there he says he says the browns didn't take the best offensive player on the board that every i i based off everything i read like none of the quarterbacks were number one with the number one offensive player on the board that was all either saquon barkley or quentin nelson uh so i guess i i don't necessarily understand what he's saying there i i understand what his his, his logic is that no matter what, the quarterback's the most valuable. So the best, the best quarterback in the draft is the best player in the draft, and he thinks it's Darnold. He's wrong, but he 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 thinks it's Darnold. So that that's where he's he is he is basing all of his arguments Lee on the assumption that Sam Darnold is going to turn into an elite NFL quarterback. And i i, I made the i made the case to you last week. I think it was the the Friday after a uh, Mayfield had like, gone number one overall. Where you know, Cowherd went into kind of a, a pretty long rant about how you know he's gonna he's gonna double down and even quadruple down on on Baker Mayfield not becoming the next Brett Favre, and while he was doing all this, he was talking about how much you know how, how highly he thinks of Sam Darnold and how great of a situation he just walked into and how lucky the Jets are. And I texted you with kind of a link to the video of his of his monologue, and I said at this point, Lee, Colin Cowherd is just is like atrociously overrating Sam Darnold. Um, and it's like it's kind of unfair because I mean I, I just I'm starting to the point where I don't really see what he sees here. D- do you at all? I, I guess I don't. And now I, I think I think I'm kind of getting into the weeds here because now I'm not even talking about his his rant that he went or his hot take. But mm. I, there, there's just there's there's so much stuff for me to to comment on. I'm. Um, what do you think about that, Lee? I I, I said that that Cowherd is overrating Darnold and he thinks. He is he, he's, he's assuming that Darnold will turn into an elite NFL quarterback. What do you think about that?
2: Yes, yes. And, of course, for sake of his argument, that's what he thinks. Um, I think you and I on this show, I don't think you and I are arguing that Baker Mayfield's going to turn into an elite NFL quarterback, which... Uh, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast the other day, and he mentioned something about elite something, and he kind of made fun of it because of the whole oh, remember the whole Joe Flacco was he elite argument and all this stuff. It's kind of like a a, a talking like a talking head elite th- thing, which is kind of like annoying. Like, but I think we all know what elite means. Uh, but here we go. How, how, I was gonna bring this up later, but I think this this pit of information fits into kind of what you're trying to get at. Uh, Baker Mayfield's agent, Jack Mills, came out today, we're recording this on Tuesday, came out on Monday on a podcast and said that the Patriots were willing to trade all the way up to number two to get Baker Mayfield if he was there. And so I was thinking, okay, how is Colin Coward going to react to this information? Because we all know how he feels about the Patriots. As he, you know, like we all mostly do. The Patriots are are the the class of the NFL, the best organization. Bill Belichick is the best head coach. Management's great. They win a ton of Super Bowls. Tom Brady's the best quarterback. I mean, the Patriots are the elite of the NFL and really pro sports in general. And so, the thought of Bill Belichick and the Patriots wanting to get Mayfield, feeling that strongly about Mayfield, to potentially trade all the way up to number two, because of course they'd have to trade away their their two first round picks, and to get Baker Mayfield to potentially be the heir apparent to Tom Brady. I was curious how Colin Coward would react to that, and so I was listening to his show on Tuesday. He mentioned this and kind of brushed off the news, stating that the Patriots were, of course, also reportedly very fond of Lamar Jackson, but New England passed on Lamar Jackson twice in the first round. And then also, too, this is just me talking. I think it's fair to acknowledge that the source is Baker Mayfield's agent, and, of course, the agent's going to say positive things about their client, but I don't know why he would lie about something like that. But, and this is to your point, to go the way around to it, imagine if the roles were reversed between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Is there any doubt that Colin Coward would have potentially led his show with that revelation today? I think, like, what do you think? I mean, if, if Baker Mayfield was Sam Darnold and reversed, and you found out that, oh, actually, the Patriots are willing to trade up all the way to number two just to get Sam Darnold, is there any doubt that Coward would have led his show with that? You know, I that's speculation.
0: I... I suspect he probably would, just based off of me listening to him for you know nearly seven or eight years now. But you know, I I, I I'll never know on there. So Lee, I I do want to go back to just, and this this is kind of his. Um, this is this is kind of Colin Cowherd's like his. Uh, his, this is his saying. This is like the thing that he he is so fond of saying, and that is um, that there that there's people who you know there's people who are getting it right, and there's people who want to be right, and he he says that. All of the time. And, and I just, I find it ironic because he, he, he seems to be arguing against himself in this scenario when he says that. Because I, I really do think this is an example of him wanting to be right and not getting it right. And, and I have, I, and, and here's why. So Colin Cowherd has, has been talking about Sam Darnold for, for damn near two years now. But he, he was talking about Sam Darnold before he was ever even named the starter at USC as a freshman. Um he, he knows his family, so I think he's biased there. You got the, he he knows he's a good kid, and I'm sure he is. Um, what you didn't see Colin Cowherd do this year was acknowledge Sam Darnold's warts. Um, he is always he has always stayed 100 percent in Sam Darnold's camp. Um, he's always kind of deflected when people call him out on that. He's and uh deflected to uh you know, bad coaching staff, lost offensive lineman, lost
2: top receiver, stuff like that. Um, you can fix turnovers, you know, it's, that's, that's something that's easily fixable at the next level, stuff like that. Absolutely. Any, any, any time
0: someone brings up the fact that, that Darnold actually, you know, mechanically is, is, is pretty below average and needs lots of work. You know, he, he'll always hedge his bet and say, no, they'll, they'll fix that in, in the NFL. He's a great kid. Great kid. When, when was the last time you heard uh, Colin Gowherd criticize Baker Mayfield for something on the field? Lee J- that's a question oh, to you wow my god that's a really
2: good question
0: Colin Calhoun's main main points against Baker Mayfield have been exactly in order right that right now that he's six feet tall that's his main that, is, that he's undersized that is his main gripe against Baker Mayfield it's never, ever been a problem you know. In, in college when he played in front of the biggest offensive line in all of college football. It was never, was never a huge problem. In fact, Pro Football Focus went back and looked, and of all the major quarterbacks, he's by far had the least amount of passes or the rate of passes batted down, the least amount out of any of the quarterbacks uh, in this draft class. So that's crazy. So that's, that's an example of him wanting to be right and not getting it right. Um, second one, he plays in the Big 12. Has always been one of his biggest things. He plays in a popcorn conference. Go look at Baker Mayfield's stats against the best teams he's played against the best defenses he's played. Get a little newsflash for you. They're really freaking good. Probably better than the career stats uh, against everybody for Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and and, and whatnot. Uh, so there's a there, there's a uh, there's an example right there of him wanting to be right and not getting it right.
2: Just look at the difference between. Baker Mayfield and OU against Ohio State at Ohio State this past year, and then Sam Darnold in the Cotton Bowl against Ohio State. I mean, those are his two guys right there. And and Mayfield had maybe his his best game of the year. That, was in, the, that in, in that game. Yeah, that and Sam was, Darnold was just Sam Darnold was 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 okay. He was fine in the Cotton Bowl. Was he? You know, I, I didn't watch a
0: ton of that game, and I, I know USC didn't USC get shut out in that game.
2: No, 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 I think he had a he had a touchdown pass or two. Okay, okay. I think he, I, I think he threw one uh, one pick. I believe. I'll look it up as you continue. Okay, um,
0: and also like his the the game in Columbus Lee with Baker. I thought I thought that was probably upon reflection. I think that's probably the best game he played in his career. I would say on in retrospect, um, just based off the moment and, and why he was insane in that game, incredible. Uh, you can also point to uh, Darnold. I guess I, I don't know how successful Darnold was against Texas earlier in the in, in the early. He was good, but he wasn't as good as Baker Mayfield yeah yeah so anywho um
2: and so and, i the, and that was a home game for usc
0: yeah it was a home game and then you know obviously the cotton bowl is is kind of a neutral thing but it's it's certainly not a not a home atmosphere at the cotton bowl um so uh what was i talk- yes that's right he 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 hates the fact that baker mayfield plays in the big 12 um completely doesn't even acknowledge that sam darnold has started in the pack 12 the last two years which has been uh unanimously by everyone who pays attention to college football the worst power five conference the last two years in college football i don't think there's there's no one who there's no one who seriously follows the sport that that would not break it down that way so there's another example of him of him wanting to be right and not getting it right what's happened here lee is colin cowherd went all in on sam darnold two years ago and i think he's just he's sticking with his guns and he's just he he is he he is not able to to accurately look at counter evidence to what he is claiming, and I think and that's fine that that is you know that's that's his right he can do what he wants it's just going to be so much so much sweeter when he's wrong, and, and I and the more the more he talks and talks and talks the more the more confident I get that he is wrong, um, and just because he doesn't know what he's talking about it's and it's 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 <laughs> It's fun to watch, actually. You know, you know, you know the, the the freezing cold takes Twitter handle or whatever that does that retweets all of like the mm-hmm. the cold takes. He's gonna have a freaking field day with Colin Cowherd over the Sam Darnold stuff. I'm or in the Baker Mayfield stuff. I'm starting to feel.
2: Well, I want to tell you to uh, do something that you like to say on the show a lot: to pump the brakes. Because while I do think Baker Mayfield. Will have more success than Sam Darnold because I think I mean Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold right now. Will Sam Darnold get even better? And, and you know what? Let's say this. I think Sam Darnold's really good. Let's not make him out to be some yeah I do too. bad player. Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. Sam Darnold is the second best quarterback in this class, and then a little bit after Darnold is Josh Rosen. But I think I think Darnold and Rosen are a clock a, a lot closer together than. Mayfield to anybody else I I think think Mayfield is is better is much better than the rest of the field then you got Darnold and Rosen who are pretty close then after that I think there's a pretty big gap between Lamar Jackson and then Josh Allen and Mason Rudolph
0: this might surprise you here Lee but I I I sort of have a similar kind of hierarchy there um I I I would put I would break it down into tiers um I, I I think Mayfield's in a tier all by himself um and then I think the third tier consists of Darnold Rosen and actually Lamar Jackson in my, in my opinion. I, I honestly cannot decide between those three
2: who I would slot behind Mayfield. The thing was with Rosen, just, you know what, forget it. Well, we'll probably, We might get to that later. I don't want to go off topic here. Uh, so basically what you're, I, I like all the stuff you're saying and I think the main point is you say that Herd's cow, Coward's gone all in on Darnold and he basically is trying to get it right, or no, he's he's basically wanting to be right instead of trying to get it right. And, just to your point, I think he's willfully ignoring all these factors about Baker Mayfield because he wants to be right about Sam Darnold. And I think I want to point out: I think the difference between Darn uh, Darnold, between Colin Cowherd and you and I on this podcast, is that yes, we are biased in favor of Baker Mayfield, of course we are, but I'd like to think that we are more fair about our coverage of the two players. Like, we will point out the flaws in Baker Mayfield. We will. We will say that it's dumb to get arrested. We'll, we'll say that we're not a big fan of the antics, and we're not going to defend that stuff, really. But we, we'll also say that overall and what we see on the field is so good, and it's, it's really not that close between him and the rest of the players as far as how he plays the game of football, that being Baker Mayfield. Whereas, to your point, you, know, you mentioned when's the last time Cowherd's criticized anything on the field about Baker Mayfield. That's a great question. I don't remember the last time, if at all. It's, so it's because he, he very rarely ever criticizes
0: Sam Darnold. It's because he doesn't know. It's because he does not watch them enough to know. And I'll, I'll, I'll and and I'll, I'll give him a break on that because you know I, I'm sure he's got to do a lot of stuff. He's got to watch a lot of things.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. A couple other parts of that hot take I want to break down. How about the part where he talks about? Uh, I guess this wasn't on the hot take, so I I should give some background. So we played you about a minute and 10 seconds of Cowherd on Mayfield and the Browns. Obviously, he has a lot more thoughts on the situation. Cowherd also said, before he he said all that, he said that two teams won the draft, the Jets and the Cardinals, because they got franchise quarterbacks. Of course, Sam Darnold to to New York, and then Arizona got Josh Rosen. Then Cowherd started talking about the value of quarterbacks as far as how many points they're worth. Cowherd's baseline player was Jimmy Garoppolo. He said Garoppolo is worth five points. Then Cowherd showed some numbers on the screen from last season. The 49ers averaged 17 points per game in 11 games without Garoppolo. And in five games with Garoppolo, the 49ers scored about 29 points per game. So a 12-point difference. Now, Cowherd's take on this was that Garoppolo was worth 12 points now with a great offensive coach. In this case, it's Kyle Shanahan. And you know what? I think this is a really good take by Colin because a really good quarterback, which Garoppolo, of course, is mixed with a smart offensive coordinator is going to result in a lot of points being scored. Now, it brings me to the Baker Mayfield discussion. I wonder if he's thought much at all about the offensive coordinators on the Jets and on the Cardinals. I don't think he has. And I think there's a chance that Jeremy Bates in New York is a bad offensive coordinator. You know, how's that going to affect Sam Darnold? And then in Arizona, there's Mike McCoy. He's got a lot of experience at this point. I think I'd certainly say he's better than Jeremy Bates in New York. And then looking at the other quarterbacks that are going, you got Josh Allen, who has a chance to start for Buffalo. Brian Dayball is there, and we don't know much about him. He's not great, although I will say he's never had a good quarterback to work with in the NFL, uh, and he still may not have a good quarterback in Josh Allen. So then you turn to Todd Haley with Cleveland, finally, who is the quarterback – In Cleveland, like I said, and that'd be Baker Mayfield's offensive coordinator. He's got the best track record of all these coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Sure, he's reportedly a a jerk, kind of immature for an adult. And how much of his recent success has to do with the players he's had in Pittsburgh as opposed to his actual offensive scheme? I think that's a legitimate question, definitely. Also, Haley has been combative with players, most notably Ben Roethlisberger. They didn't really get along very well. Lincoln Riley on the other hand is not combative at all. Him and Baker Mayfield have a have a fantastic relationship. So maybe Haley's personality will be an issue. I think it's definitely something to consider. But I also like the fact that Todd Haley was fired by the Steelers and now he'll he's in the same division as Pittsburgh, so hopefully that gives Haley some extra fire to buckle down and implement a system that can get the most out of Baker Mayfield. So I just was curious if you have any thoughts Grant on that particular part about the offensive coordinators that these quarterbacks are going to get, uh, I'm not high at all on Jeremy Bates. I think that could be a problem for Sam Darnold, which is tough because Sam Darnold didn't have that great offensive coaches at uh, USC either.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm there's there's certainly a lot to that, Lee. And and going back to Cowherd, that's that's not something new. He's been he's had that take for years, you know, about offensive coordinators paired with young quarterbacks. Um, I I'd be really curious to see, to hear his thoughts. Um, and I read this reported in the athletic of Sean McVay, who is kind of, who is the, the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. Um, and of course he is, he is credited very greatly with turning around Jared Goff this year. I wonder how Colin Cowherd would feel, you know, to hear that Sean McVay personally told Mayfield that if I didn't have my quote unquote ride or die guy referencing Jared Goff, that we would come up and get you in the first round. That's Sean McVay told Baker Mayfield that uh, per the per the athletic.
2: Aside from aside from Mike Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan and Garoppolo, Sean McVay is the perfect example of a offensive coach coming in and totally turning around a quarterback's future with Jared Goff. So I'm just saying so Sean McVay didn't say that about
0: Sam Darnold. He didn't say that about Josh Rosen. He didn't say that about Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. So I, I, I'm just saying it's, it's, it's just, it's, just a, it's it's an interesting question to pose. That's all I would say. And you're right. I, I think there is, you know, it, it certainly helps young quarterbacks to be with with offensive coordinators who have a track record of success. Um, and, and of those three that you're of the four that you mentioned, Lee Todd Haley really is the only one with a sus- with a sustained track record of success in the NFL. And I think, you know, just based off of that, you you have to like Baker's chances if, if you're going to base it solely off of, of, of who the offensive coaching staffs are.
2: He also mentioned in the, that take that the Browns the – his main take was that the Browns didn't maximize their draft, which I actually agree with him on this point, but for different reasons because I think uh, obviously Bradley Chubb at number four seemed like it made more sense than Denzel Ward. Chubb and Miles Garrett together rushing the quarterback seems like a pretty good idea, but instead they went with Ward. Maybe it was because they, they – thought he was a, he's going to be a lockdown corner and the fact that he's from Cle- the Cleveland area he went to Ohio State maybe that factored in as well uh and this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about the Patriots but I mean he made it seem in that opening take or in that hot take that everybody in NFL thought Darnold was the clear number one pick but I think what we've learned over the last week is that the NFL That's grant blatantly seems, false right the, the NFL seems to like Mayfield a lot more than the media likes Mayfield and coward said nobody's draft board listed Mayfield as the best offensive player. B.S. Which, which I I know you mentioned you know Saquon Barkley and you're kind of facetiously saying that earlier. I think what he he mainly meant was quarterback wise. And Cleveland.com reported at least four other teams had Mayfield number one, and that didn't even include the Patriots, which we just found out again from the eight Mayfield's agent that the Pats were so high that they're willing to trade up. I mean, again, that's coming from Mayfield's agent. It's not from the mouth of Bill Belichick or Robert Kraft, but still, it's it's a report and. He's right there. He represents Baker Mayfield, so I don't know why he would lie about something like that. So it's just more Colin Cowherd just say, kind of just saying things that aren't necessarily true just to try to back up his point about Sam Darnold. Yeah, and it's, to see if there's any, it's,
0: it's frustrating. It's just like, I mean, I, I, I think there's, there's legitimate reasons to criticize Baker Mayfield Um and it's fine. I mean, I, I, I understand if, if you think that Sam Darnold has a higher, has, has a higher uh, ceiling than Mayfield. I understand that. I, I, I think I, you know, I, I can sort of see where you're coming from. I think, I think Darnold is, is maybe a smidgen bit of a better athlete than
2: Mayfield, maybe. Mm. A smidgen, I said. Didn't you mention the, the combine results and how Mayfields yeah, were they're, better they're than Darnold? Their,
0: their athletic numbers, Mayfields, Mayfields were slightly better, but they were very similar. Um, athletic, okay. athletically. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it it's, certainly an interesting thing. I guess I just, I I've watched, I've watched more, these two quarterbacks, I think I've probably watched the most of, um, in the last decade of college football. I've watched, I watched a ton of Sam Darnold this past year. Um, obviously I, Baker Mayfield is probably the college football player I've seen the most of in my entire life. Um, Mayfield's just a lot better player. Um, and I think that's that's clear to anyone who is objectively comparing the two's tape. And I, and I guess I, I just I, I'm confused as as to why others don't see that same
2: thing. Um, but, you know, to each their own, I suppose. And the last part of Coward's take that I want to just discuss real quick, and it's kind of back to the the whole want to be right instead of trying to get it right. He mentions that, hey, the, when the Browns go four and 12. Of course, you'll credit Baker being a wild success. So. What I want to ask you is, first of all, uh, let's say Baker Mayfield does play relatively early for the Browns next year. And we're going to talk a little bit later just about the the odds of that even happening because I know the Browns do want him to sit out. That's that's what they're saying right now. But Grant, let's just say that the, the Mayfield does get a chance to play relatively early. At what point, at what win total do you think you should consider him to be successful in his first year? And I ask you that question with the over unders for NFL win totals out now. The Browns were set at five and a half, which I believe that's still like the lowest in the league. I don't think anybody else was was set at was fewer than five and a half wins. But I mean, what do you think, Grant? I mean, how many wins do you think if Baker Mayfield you know plays? Let's say, let's say Baker Mayfield starting by week four. You know, how many wins for the Browns is considered a success in his first season? If he if he plays, if he starts twelve games, what would be a success for him? Sure.
0: Um, probably. You know, it's a pin because it's graded on a curve. I mean, what if like yeah,
2: what? It if, also depends on how he looks too. Sure. What I if mean.
0: like what if you know what if he goes one and eleven but has a quarterback rating in the nineties, you know, and throws twenty touchdown passes and only five picks. Um, yeah. you know what if he. So yeah, it, it's going to be great. So, yeah, a curve. forget that.
2: Forget that question then, because that's kind of like a talking head, you know, whatever question. Because we don't even know yet now. Yeah, so, and so we'll, we'll see. We're
0: going to see. I think the he's going to the the talks are right that, that they want him to sit behind Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I we'll see. I, I don't know. I I I guess we'll see how far ahead Tyrod Taylor is than Baker Mayfield. Because I I have a really hard time believing that Tyrod Taylor is better than Baker Mayfield.
2: So well we'll see we'll see what happens I have a hard time thinking that too however I was thinking about this the other day I totally didn't take into account Baker Mayfield's 2014 season when he sat out and was like the scout team player of the year or something like that you know how much did that season help his development I'm it's hard to quantify but I'm sure it didn't hurt his development so what if he would have came in cold in 2015 and was eligible to play and they gave him the job then? I wonder if he would have been as good in 2015 without that year of sitting. Uh, yeah, I guess that's basically what I'm saying. So like, my point being is if Mayfield comes in and is given the, the reins right away, I wonder if we should not be as high on him as we are now because he won't have that full year in the Browns organization under his belt to learn from.
0: Yeah, I, I think, that's, I think that's, that's worth thinking about. I think that's an interesting take. I, I like that a lot. And I think uh, you're right. There's really no way to quantify it. Um, but I agree with you in the sense that, I mean, obviously him sitting in 2014 did not hurt his development whatsoever. Um, but, Lee, you know, we've heard and I think I, I saw quotes like this coming out of the the spring game weekend when when Bob Stoops and all the former players were back in town. Um, and there was I, I, I remember reading kind of a lot of retrospectives of, you know, when when Baker actually showed up in, in 2014. And Lee, just reading some quotes, I, I I got the idea that as soon as Baker showed up and was in that quarterback room, that he he freaking controlled the thing. That that was it was his program even when he was sitting out is the is kind of the vibe that I get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there was a lot of I think, you know, there was lots of message board talk and social media talk and you know leading up to that twenty fifteen season about whether or not it was gonna be Baker or Trevor Knight. Um reading stuff back, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious in retrospect now that it was always Baker Mayfield and that he had, he stepped in he stepped in almost right away and was just dominating from everything I've read um so like yeah I, I'm sure him you know being able to do that and developing and learning an offense I'm cer- certainly didn't hurt him but you know, Lee, you got to remember too he learned a completely new offense for 2015 when Lincoln Riley came in. oh, that's a good point so that's very true um yeah but like i said you know obviously it doesn't it doesn't it didn't hurt him sitting out i'm sure he he was able to get reps and learn and and whatnot and, you know there there was a bunch of really talented players on that scout team too that season too. if you recall dorial green beckham and i think uh, uh joe mixon was on that was i uh, know he was he was completely away from the team but the point stands mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. grant i have a take on the Browns take, uh, the Browns selecting Mayfield, is it possible, I'll bring this up in a moment, is it possible that the Browns took Mayfield number one for all the wrong reasons? I'll get to that in a second, but first, if you didn't already know, we're on Facebook. This is your weekly reminder to like, uh, comment on the Facebook page, give us a review. If you're on Facebook as well, of course, we'd really appreciate it. Also, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, feel free to give us a rating and or a review on iTunes. A big thank you to all of you who have taken a few minutes to write a review. All of them have been really positive. Uh, you know, We can take criticism, too. So, I mean, if you don't like it, tell us. We'll try to fix things. Uh, also, I mean, we talked about last week we had a really positive view that this is somebody's favorite podcast, one of the listeners' favorite podcast. And I, I failed to mention this. The the headline of the review was Best OU Podcast podcast which my god i mean that's high praise because there's a couple of good ones out there at least uh that i've heard so thank you for all the support grant and i super excited and pumped that you guys like the show so much again uh, like on facebook if you would like to leave a review rate us on facebook as well and then itunes soundcloud for all you kind of old school people out there that want to get in contact with us you can email the show west of everest at gmail.com, that is westofeverest, at gmail.com. And then, uh, Twitter, you can follow us there. I'm at Lee Benson, News 9. Grant is at GrantBenson25. So, Grant, is it possible that the Browns, even though they decided on Baker Mayfield, which was the right decision we've we've said, is it possible that they may have come to the conclusion based on the wrong reasons? And what I mean by that is just earlier this week, there was a report from, let's see who... I have it written down there. Browns VP of Player Personnel, Alonzo Highsmith, and he was talking to some fans about Baker Mayfield. And I, now, of course, I got to find—I got to find this. Oh, uh, way to be prepared. He said that. Okay, here's here's what he said about Mayfield. He said from the start of this past college football season to the end of the season that Highsmith had Darnold number one, Baker number two, Rosen number three, Jackson number four, Josh Allen. After that, and he went on to say that on his way through everything throughout the college football season, that you couldn't tell him that Darnold wasn't the best quarterback. He did all of his evaluations during the season, and then Highsmith gets to the off-the-field part, and this is where I'm going to quote him. He says, "Quote." Then comes the part where you meet them off the field. You watch their workouts, you watch everything, and Baker blew me away. Highly, highly intelligent, highly competitive, and he had a trait that some of the good ones have. I call it efficacy. That includes the power to affect other people. I thought that of all the quarterbacks I watched, he stood out far and above the other guys. When he walked into a room, you knew he was there. So that's why... Baker Mayfield was then moved up from second on his list to number one on his list. And what I mean by did they get him for the wrong reasons, it certainly sounds like the off the field stuff, the meetings is what swayed the Browns. But, Grant, isn't it kind of troubling that throughout their their film study and the stuff on the field, they still had Darnold number one over Mayfield after the entire college football season? Isn't that puzzling?
0: Browns are going to Brown,
2: man. Like I, that's that's what I'm saying. I, I mean, I think they might have lucked into this pick, honestly, just based off of talent evaluation. I guess, I, and, and, I, and I
0: keep saying it. I, I just objectively, I don't understand how you can evaluate the tape of these players and come away saying Darnold is a better player. It just does not jive with what is physically on tape at all, like not even close. So, hell yeah. I mean, I sure. I'll I'll, I'll give uh, Alonzo Highsmith credit for. But, I mean, that's certainly not, you know, what we're hearing from, you know, about other teams. It seems like a lot of other teams have really kind of fallen in love with, you know, the tape because he's the best the best college quarterback of all time on tape. So, it, it would, you know, it makes sense that they would fall in love with him on tape.
2: So, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, one more thing, too, and I, I don't have this in front of me, but I saw a report that, uh, I think I think Coward might have reported this afterwards. He, he had heard that, they didn't think, the Browns, that is, didn't think that Darnold, uh, the task of turning around a franchise, he was really up to that. Did you Did you hear that report, or am I just I did. this I up? I did, I did,
0: and that was, I can't remember if it was Cowherd, but yes, I did hear it. Um, I agree with that, because I, 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 after, and I didn't, um, I didn't honestly have those thoughts until I watched the Sam Darnold interview after he had been taken by the Jets. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to handle the media. He didn't, he just didn't seem too well he seemed shy seemed really
2: shy um so he doesn't really seem like he's that a big time alpha guy that's gonna and to be fair you and i we're not big rah-rah guys we're not big with our quarterbacks like hey yeah yeah but at the same time you have to have a, a bit a, a bit to you where you're dynamic and people want to listen to you and want to follow you well you're a, there's no doubt that baker mayfield has that. when you're a quarterback you're the ceo you
0: like the the teams want you to be a charismatic CEO because I mean you you have the reins of the franchise. Um so and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying Sam Darnold coming off is shy. That means that he just he's not gonna be able to handle New York. Um Eli Manning's a pretty soft spoken guy and you know he's been you know he's he's been yeah, pretty successful definitely. in New York. So it's you know, I'm j- I'm just saying. he's there there's certainly different players and, and you're right, I'm glad you brought up that I'm I'm certainly not a rah rah guy. Um, and in fact, you know, if, if you would have pulled me a couple years ago, I might've said Darnold being soft-spoken and not really saying much was maybe a good thing for the Jets, but that kind of just shows you how, how our thinking can change. And, um, and really what it's all about in the NFL is just being that alpha personality at quarterback. It really is important because you're the field general. You want guys to go into battle with you. And if you're just kind of quiet and, uh, you know, kind of reserved like that, you better be damn good at your job for them to get behind you. So no, that that that's the point there.
2: Another thing too just along the lines of uh, Highsmith mentioning that Darnold was number 1 for the college football season and then Baker ended up, you know, being number 1 in the end based on the the interview process things like that. Another thing that I've heard John Dorsey the GM say and Hugh Jackson I think say at the at the press conference after drafting Mayfield is that they you know, Mayfield's a winner. They like that he's a he's a winner, which and this is a take that Colin Cowherd has that he said a lot is saying that someone's a winner doesn't mean anything, and I agree with him. I mean, that sounds very Tebow-like. I mean, oh Tebow, he can win games, he can win games, but yeah, you got to see how he's winning games. People in college that go to Oklahoma and Florida and USC and all these places—they're all winners. All quarterbacks are winners. I—that it, doesn't mean anything to me. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe Baker Mayfield. Wa- one of the first things out of my mouth when describing Baker Mayfield about why he's a really good quarterback, he's a winner, would not be anywhere near the top. Because I know that doesn't really mean anything. Sure, he is a winner. He does win games. But so did Jason White. Jason White won a lot of games. Nate Hibble won a lot of games. Uh, you know, So Trevor Knight won a decent amount of games when he was at Oklahoma. I mean, these all these players are nowhere near as good as Baker Mayfield. So I think it's – I don't know if that's like a PR thing for the Browns because – their fans like to hear, hey, he's a winner. Maybe that's it. But I was wondering if you had any thoughts on whenever you've heard John Dorsey and these people describe, oh, well, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's a like one of the first things out of his mouth is he's a winner, which to me that that's not a great way to describe or, or a good reason to draft somebody number one.
0: Yeah, I think you, you just summed up my, the thoughts I've had about that kind of phrase my entire life without me knowing it. I agree, right. I agree with everything you just said. Um, and I, and I didn't know I agreed with it until you said it. So, um, that's, that's very interesting. You're right. I don't know what that means. What being a winner means, you know, like what is it there? There's plenty of people who have, who have sucked like in college in terms of win loss and have come in and played really well in in the NFL. Um, geez, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that is weird. I I don't, I don't know what that means. I'm assuming he means that. That's the sort of personality that he has, and that he's adept to coming in and and changing this Maybe. changing this culture. Which is, I think, which is, if you really sat down with John Dorsey and really uh, probed what he was thinking, I bet that is his main thing. Is that he knows once he stepped in, the culture of that franchise needs needs a one eighty, and you need a you need an alpha personality to come in here and do it. A guy who who is you know, and I hate this word now too. A guy who is a winner, and he is like he's. He's a winner in the sense, I suppose, that it doesn't. He will do absolutely anything to win. He's that type of person, um, and I think that's the type of person that Cleveland absolutely has to have, and they have to have that person at quarterback if Cleveland is ever going to be pulled out of this hole. If 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 it's ever going to happen, it it has to be like this. Um, I'm. It's it's so. I'm. It's it's gonna be really interesting to follow this this season. I I, I hope he plays this year. It'd be pretty pretty boring and disappointing if, if he doesn't. But, man, if he does,
2: what what an interesting NFL season this is going to be. Something to watch out for come, uh, come August, come preseason football. And this is something that actually ever since the 2016 season, so not long at all, so basically just last year, I've decided that I'm actually going to pay attention to preseason football. And you're going to think, why? Well, okay, remember in 2016, of course, Tony Romo got injured. Dak Prescott came in and looked fantastic in the preseason. Everyone was like, well, who gives a crap? It's preseason football. Nobody. And then Dak Prescott was fantastic during the regular season. So last year I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to kind of watch a little bit of preseason football. And a lot of it's kind of you know fancy football-wise. You can kind of get an idea of certain players. And one of the guys that really stood out to me last year in preseason that nobody knew about was Tariq Cohen for the Bears. And Tariq Cohen had a three, four, maybe even five, six-week span in, in the last year where he was like a legitimate player where like oh man this could be a, a good pickup for you know, your fancy football guys point being 2018 preseason ball when baker mayfield gets gets reps and gets to play if he looks like he's competent and looks good that's going to tell us something it's not just i don't think anymore we can say oh it doesn't matter it's vanilla defenses this is preseason i think if he looks good in the preseason that's gonna tell us something and that could give us an idea of whether or not he actually will play early or won't play uh, early at all yeah I he, maybe do you, do you think that's crazy or do you do you not care about well I mean obviously you're gonna watch preseason this year because you're gonna you're gonna to want to watch Baker Mayfields first I
0: usually, first I, passes I usually always am interested in preseason at least like the first half of games because I'm always interested in the rookies always um so all right you know it, it's not like I, I I'm not gonna sit you know. I, I'm a Colts fan, in case you know that hasn't come out and anything. I, I don't, I don't really use the preseason to. I'm not going to watch like the Colts and like watch every game. I just, I, I like the preseason to to track individual players of note. That's always been a thing. And it, it's usually, yeah. it's it's usually OU guys that I like to follow in the
2: preseason. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll talk about some of the other guys who got drafted and picked up as undrafted free agents coming up later in the show. Uh, Before we get to that, the last thing on Baker and the Browns, uh, Grant, and I have these numbers here. So I mentioned earlier that the over-under win total for Cleveland is 5.5. Also, get this, the Browns right now are plus 9,500 to win the Super Bowl. And so if you don't know anything about gambling odds, basically what that means is that if you bet $100 on the Browns to win the Super Bowl, you will win ninety five hundred dollars if they win the Super Bowl. All right, so that means they're they're a pretty big long shot. Uh, for comparative sake, the Patriots, Eagles, and Vikings are all favorites. The three favorites to win the Super Bowl. All three of those teams' odds are less than plus one thousand. So uh, you put a hundred. I think the Patriots. I I didn't write this down, but the Patriots are somewhere like. 600 or something like that so you win 600 bucks if they win it. anyways so the higher the number the more of a long shot what i found interesting though about this grant is that the browns don't have the worst odds to win the super bowl a team that went zero and 16 last year their odds are actually not the worst there are four teams that have worse odds right now than the browns to win the super bowl and i'm just curious this could take too long so maybe we won't go too long on it but do you care to guess at all the teams sure. that have worse odds sure the jets are gonna be one of them Bing. Yep. Got
0: that. Yep. So that's one. One of the four. Um, Let's see here. Indianapolis. Nope. What about uh, like Cincinnati? Nope. Oh, interesting. So uh, the Bears.
2: Yep. That's one of them. How many Bing. how many teams are there? Four. So you've got half of them so okay. far. You got the Bears and the Jets. There's two more teams and oh, bu- you might get one of them, but I don't think you're gonna get the other one. Buffalo. No, that's surprising. They're going to be terrible. Um, I'll huh. give you one more guess, and then we'll move on. Okay, Denver. Nope. So yeah, these are. I'm. I'm these are surprised. I'm surprised. Okay. So the worst odds by the the basically what Vegas is saying the team that is not going to going to win the Super Bowl worst odds Grant the Cardinals plus seventeen thousand. Hmm. New head coach Steve Wilkes. They got Sam Bradford in there now. Just drafted Josh Rosen. I mean, by far the worst odds, plus seventeen thousand. Yeah, I suppose. I thought they had. I thought they have a competent defense, though. I mean, I'm pretty sure Wilkes is a defensive guy too. They also Maybe have. Coach.
0: I mean, they also have like, but you know, the before, and everyone forgets that David Johnson is probably like the second best running back in the NFL too.
2: That's right. That's a good point. Johnson's back. So, I, think, yeah, I, mean.
0: I I mean, do think, though, I think Arizona might be kind of like in the basement of offensive lines right now. I think they might have like the worst one in the league,
2: mm. like by a and long shot. And also that shot. division has gotten a lot more difficult, too, with uh, the, the 49ers being competent. Oh, you know, course, you know. Of course, the Rams being really good, too. That that goes into the calculus, too, I'm sure, with that. I I, I, I doubt that Vegas thinks that the Cardinals are the worst team in the NFL. So the Cardinals have the worst odds. The second worst odds are the Jets, who you uh who you mentioned at plus fifteen thousand. Uh you mentioned the Bears as well. The Bears are at thirteen thousand. And then the fourth team with worse odds than the Browns, the Dolphins at plus ten thousand.
0: Yeah, that one doesn't that one doesn't surprise me too much. I mean, you got you got Tannehill coming off a knee, and then that's
2: pretty much it. I don't, you know. And they're in the same division as the Patriots. So uh, you mentioned the Bills. That was a good guess. This was this is shocking. The Bills, plus seven thousand. I mean, still a long shot, but not anywhere near the worst odds. I'm trying to figure out why the Bills not as bad as the Jets. I just, I mean, I know they made the playoffs last year, but their quarterbacks right now, they just drafted Josh Allen, and their probable starting quarterback is oh that guy uh, AJ, AJ McCarron. McCarron. Who has not been a starter in the NFL at all? So I don't understand why the Bills. I mean, maybe people Vegas is like, oh, well, people just think, oh, the Bills made the playoffs last year, so therefore they're going to be somewhat okay this next year. And it must be because I it, it I mean, must be because of defense. Be okay.
0: You know, maybe yeah. their maybe their thought process is, you know, they still. It was an offense that was predicated on Lashawn McCoy anyway, and that I, I bet they're thinking Tyrod Taylor no longer being there probably isn't even much of a. Of a give or take yeah um and yeah they made the playoffs last year on their defense anyway so they're probably thinking well it's still going to be the shady mccoy show and maybe maybe mccarron turns it over less
2: than tyrod taylor so who knows all right let's talk about the other guys who were drafted briefly i honestly don't have a whole lot of thoughts on these guys and i apologize to them ahead of time baker mayfield got most of my attention this last uh week but let's talk about the other players three other sooners were drafted orlando brown and Mark Andrews both went in the third round, each going to the Ravens and Oboe taken in the fifth round by the Rams. I, But, but last week's show, Grant, you, yeah, you said it. I mean, at the very end of the show, you said, oh, yeah, Andrews. I think you said Andrews was going to be a, th- a third-round pick. I think you nailed that, third or fourth-round pick. And then I think you mentioned Brown was a third-round pick too. Uh, I was surprised to see – Honestly, I thought both these guys would be at worst a second-round pick. I know Brown was he was going to fall. Man, fall into middle of the third round. I mean, the Ravens – I mean, I know this is a cliche, but the Ravens might have had a big-time steal with him, getting him that late because he at one point was a first-round lock. And then Mark Andrews going to the Ravens along with Hayden Hurst from South Carolina, who they drafted in the first round, I think. Hayden Hurst, who played baseball before and then played at – South Carolina and I saw him like once or twice when I was scouting Georgia for the Rose Bowl I remember watching the Georgia South Carolina game and Hurst actually did show up on film he looked pretty darn good like a a weapon for South Carolina in that game Uh, so interesting that the Ravens drafted two tight ends any thoughts on these guys Grant
0: yeah I mean I I think that the Ravens absolutely got a steal with Orlando Brown I mean he's going to be he's going to be you know um, in their starting lineup for the next decade so I I mean hats off to the to the Ravens that's that's a really good pick a really good value pick there um yeah the Mark Andrews one kind of confuses me I'm assuming they they probably want to do two tight end sets which is never a bad idea um it it might be you know I'm curious as to what they want to do with it I wonder if it's going to be kind of more of a of a spread two tight end look or with h-backs or something like that but you know that's you know for uh for down the line a little disappointed I I kind of hoped that You know, that Andrews would go into an offense where he would be the featured tight end or slot guy, but that's obviously not going to be the case in Baltimore, unless he is just head and shoulders better than Hayden Hurst, which I suppose is not
2: completely out of the realm of possibility. So those are the guys who were drafted. um Let's see. And then Obo going to the Rams. I mean, we'll see what happens with Oboe. I mean, the Rams have a very good defense. They were good last year. Obo, so it's kind of an f- interesting team.
0: Obo dropping doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Um, he he kind of is what he is. He's, he's a really good athlete, but he is undersized on the edge. And I know a lot of OU fans don't really want to hear it, but he's a guy who, who really disappeared at times in college. And really, his production numbers were not that great. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that he, 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 he fell to the fifth round.
2: Now, I think I said that I thought Devontae Lampkin would get drafted. I was wrong. He was not drafted. So it's kind of disappointing that he decided to declare for the draft, and then Lampkin didn't even get drafted. Certainly would be nice to have him on the Sooners still going into 2018 season. However, Lampkin was picked up by the Ravens. So Lampkin goes to the Ravens along with Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews. Multiple other undrafted free agents for the Sooners. I'll just list them off real quick here. And... Let Grant kind of give his thoughts on any of them, if he has any. Uh, Jeff Bidette going to the Vikings at 4-2 whatever speed has certainly got him a look. Emmanuel Beal to the Seahawks. Dimitri Flowers, one of our favorite players, goes to the Jets. Lampkin to the Ravens, as we mentioned. Steven Parker to the Rams. Jordan Smallwood to the Chiefs. Jordan Thomas, not drafted, but he's going to the Eagles as a UDFA. DJ Ward to the Browns, along with Mayfield. Eric Wren to the Browns along with Mayfield. And then finally, the Eagles getting long snapper. I believe it's long snapper, Wesley Horky. Is that right? Is yeah. the long snapper. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's the okay, yeah. long snap. My apologies to Wesley for not 100% knowing his position. So, uh, you know what? I'm curious. The main one for me is Dimitri Flowers. I'm just super curious to see how he's utilized. What happens with him? Is does he make the team? Is he just a special teamer for his entire career, or can there be an offense that somehow is able to get him involved where he's a somewhat uh, of a contributor? Would love to see it. He's not the most athletic guy for by NFL standards. That might hold him back. Didn't have a very good forty at the combine, but Dimitri Flowers uh, is a great football player. Want to see what happens to him. Other than that, looking at these pl- at the players, I. I mean, it's all dependent on situation. Uh, I just I have a hard time seeing Jordan Thomas making the team unless he's changed a bit and improves his game. Maybe the the change of scenery will help him. And then you got guys like uh, you know DJ Ward, who had a nice senior season, but it's just hard to see him as an NFL player. Uh, Eric Wren with the Browns. Who knows? I Eric Wren, I think out of there is the is the most likely to make a roster. I would guess. I mean that whole that whole offensive line group for oklahoma the last couple years it's like it seems like any of these guys are legitimate nfl players and can get a shot yeah and you know i, so I what are your thoughts I, well yeah
0: like i said I, I think eric wren by far has the best chance to make a roster out of these uh just just going off in numbers i mean your um offensive undrafted offensive linemen are uh, by far the you know the position that actually makes the rosters the most Um, And Eric Wren, of course, being with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, I I don't think that that hurts his cause at all. And Eric Wren just straight up has NFL size, too. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me if he's able to win a win a roster spot. Other than that, yeah, you know, I I share your thoughts about Dimitri Flowers. I I'm I'm rooting like hell for him. I really want him to make a roster. I just I'm not really sure, you know, where he can be utilized if it's not special teams. Um, other than that, you know, I think I, I guess I, I'm not sure how long snapping works. And so I'm sure Wesley Horky probably has a decent chance to make a roster um, just like uh, J- uh, James Winchester, I think, has. He's the long snapper for the for the Chiefs. Um, he's had a pretty long NFL career. You know, other than that, I'm curious to see, you know, bid here here in Minnesota, I think is interesting. But are these guys, you know, ha- has put some good years on tape with Kentucky as well. So he's he's got some ability. You know, other than that, it wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to. You know, honestly, to see all these guys maybe not make a roster just because that's just how numbers work in the NFL, unfortunately.
2: You know, the just looking at this list real quick, one guy that does kind of make me curious to see what happens is Emmanuel Beal in Seattle because Beal's forty at the at pro day was ridiculous. He ran like a four four. Which he played linebacker, obviously, and undersized linebacker at OU, and he wasn't a very highly recruited player. But going to Seattle, and I know that he's a long shot to make the team. Anybody that's not, a, that's not drafted is a long shot to make the team. But going to a culture with, I mean, Seattle's had good defense for years. I know it's kind of starting to drop off recently, so maybe it's not quite as good as it was before. But I'm kind of curious to see if, if they see this guy who's got, he's undersized for a linebacker, but what if, what if they see him as like some sort of safety? with that kind of speed Emmanuel Beal is kind of interesting to me to see if he can figure out a way to finagle his way onto a roster uh just just kind of thinking out loud there I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts if not we can move on if, but, uh, if that's
0: if Emmanuel Beal makes an NFL roster I will eat my hat <laughs> <laughs> out of the out of everyone listed here uh Lee and you, you take away Wesley Horky and and Jordan Smallwood Emmanuel Beal is the least talented player out of all of these. He's yeah. He
2: led the team in tackles a season ago, which
0: is which tells you all you need to know about Oklahoma's defense last year. Guy could hustle.
2: Yeah, sure. You know, Hard worker. I,
0: sure. You know, I Emmanuel Beal did I, did everything that was asked of him, um, but he's his his quality of player is not the type that, that Oklahoma should be welcoming in the future and that's as nicely as
2: I, as I should put it. <laughs> uh, all right. That's uh, all the thoughts on the draft guys. We have one more segment to go before in the show. We have some listener questions. So earlier today, I put up a prompt on Facebook on the West of Everest, Facebook page, asking if there's anything that you all wanted us to talk about on the podcast this week, aside from of course, Baker Mayfield and the NFL draft. So we had a couple guys who who left us comments on the West of Everest Facebook page. So thank you for these comments ahead of time. And we'll get to them. So again, if, if you hear these questions, you think, hey, I have a question too. Feel free to, to comment on the West of Everest Facebook page or send us an email at the email address westofeverest at gmail.com. First up, Grant, a couple of listener questions here as we begin May. And these are about OU football, which is what the podcast is about. Not sure why I brought that up. First one. Defensive question. So this is a nice transition from uh, talking about Emmanuel Beal to uh, the Oklahoma defense. TJ wants to know, is Mike Stoops here next year? And I believe TJ means not like 2018, but he means like after 2018. So is Mike Stoops here in 2019, no matter how Oklahoma finishes or if he posts a top 30 defense does he keep his job? So basically what he's saying is, does Mike Stoops need to have a top 30 defense to stick around it past the 2018 season? Would you like me to start, or would you want to answer this no, first? No, I'll break? answer it real quick. Um, it depends. I,
0: it depends. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, if, if he does have a top 30 defense, uh, he, he deserves to be back. Based off how bad it was last year, so yeah. To answer that part of the question, if he if, if they post a top thirty defense, he will certainly be back in twenty nineteen. Um, you know, I, I I could see some other things. You know, what if they have what if they're like sixtieth in total defense again, but they're top ten in the country in sacks and and, and uh, takeaways? Um, then I would then I would probably say that maybe he deserves to come back. That was you know that would be an effective defense in, in, in that sense. So you know, there's some you know. There, there's some interesting variables to it, but you know, yeah. If if, if they have by raw numbers a top thirty defense, that's going to be a pretty successful season for the defense, I think. Um, and he will certainly be back. I'm not. I'm I'm not really willing to say if it's you know if, if it's if it's worse than a top thirty defense, if he's for sure being fired because I think there's going to be a lot that goes into it. But if they if if they repeat their performance from last year, if they're similar to last year, uh, he's gone and he should be
2: gone. And I want to apologize to TJ. I think I might have misrepresented his question a bit, the first part of it at least. And I think basically what TJ is saying, he says, is Mike Stoops here next year no matter how Oklahoma finishes? Or if he posts a top 30 defense, does Stoops keep his job? So I think the first part of his question is basically TJ wanting to know, hey, no matter what happens, is Mike Stoops just here as a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma even if the defense is bad again. And so I, I just wanted to make sure I didn't misrepresent yeah, his question there.
0: That's definitely what he's asking. And I guess to answer that mm-hmm. question, no. I, 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 think, I think if they have another season where they're 106th in defensive s and I think he's,
2: he's gone faster than than you can even process it. So my answer to the question is I do think that the Sooners, if the Sooners defense is bad again – in 2018 like it was in 2017 that Stoops will not be with the program in 2019 and I don't have any inside information on this this is just a hunch you know what's the big thing Lincoln Riley has referenced many times during this offseason it's that Oklahoma needs talent and recruiting he's mentioned that a lot well the Sooners have gotten back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes so in theory that issue the talent issue on the defensive side specifically should not be an excuse this upcoming season on on the defensive side as i said. So, uh i have a hard time seeing Oklahoma firing Mike Stoops. I'm using I'm I'm putting air quotes around firing because because of that history there with Bob Stoops of course. I mean, Bob Stoops just got a statue put up of him recently. But I I can't imagine Lincoln Riley I just I think that the fact that Bob Stoops was the coach for so long, I think that certainly has has factored into the fact the reason why Mike Stoops is still the coach the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma I think that's certainly factored in if it was anybody else if the, if the defensive coordinator last season I think if the DC's name was John John Doe I think that guy would have been canned immediately and and there would have been a, a different play a different coach in now but the fact that it was a Stoops I think that did did factor in I just it's I can't imagine that bob stoops or i mean maybe this has all been unsaid too i just it's tough for me to imagine past last season lincoln riley and his staff being still being okay with really poor results defensively and just kind of keeping with the status quo and not making a change if it's bad in 2018 hey
0: let's yeah for, for transparency's sake and just put it all out there let's let's give lincoln riley a bit of credit i don't think he decided to keep mike stoops just because he's bob's brother there's 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 other things that. Oh go no into no, the no calculus I wasn't there. saying I wasn't saying that. Um, like for instance, I, I you obviously have to take into account Mike Soups does have a track record for outstanding success at the college level being a defensive coordinator. He does. It was a while ago, but but he he does have a track record for it. So obviously, I'm sure that that probably played just as big of a, of a role or or factor as him being Bob Soups'
2: brother. I would I would assume. Well, I wasn't. Like, I guess to be to be clear, I don't think that's why. I mean, obviously, when when Bleak and Riley got the job initially, he wasn't going to get rid of anybody. But I, I really do think, though, if if uh, it was just some random defensive coordinator that wasn't Mike Stoops, and the program had had back-to-back defensive years the way they've had, I I think there would have been a change made.
0: I think I, I think it is. I think it's completely reasonable to suspect that.
2: Again, don't have any inside information. I uh, work at News Nine in Oklahoma City, but I. I do not know Mike Stoops personally. I've spoken to him a couple times just professionally through interviews and things like that. Uh, I know my boss, uh, Dean Blevins. I think he has somewhat of a relationship with, with Mike Stoops. I mean, he has a relationship with basically everyone within OU. Uh, but that's just kind of my thoughts on that. Uh, and I hope we were able to answer your question in no uncertain terms. TJ, one more question to go. And this is an all-encompassing type question as far as the Big 12 goes. This is from Shane. And I don't believe it's Shane Beamer from Oklahoma. This is just Shane from uh, West of Everest uh, Facebook page. He he's, he says, is the Big 12, is the Big 12 Conference Oklahoma or bust in terms of making the college football playoff? And since you answered the first question, I'll answer this one uh, first, Grant. I'd say... Texas may have a shot because it's Texas and they have recruited well. I know they've been bad, but it's Texas, they have gotten recruiting classes and they have a good coach now. Uh, plus, we know they have a good defense. Texas has a good defense, It's probably going to be good again. I don't know where TCU stands. I know Gary Patterson always seems to get it done with less talent on that, those TCU teams compared to other top teams. So outside of Oklahoma, I could say maybe those two teams, again, this is I, don't, I haven't done all my research yet because it's May. I will say in this i don't think this is going to happen but and i've been i'm going to try to stay consistent with this my dark horse would be west virginia because they might have the best quarterback in the conference and in, in greer and if you if you've heard this show i a couple months ago i mentioned that greer is a dark horse heisman candidate because again he's got a lot of experience he's coming back in the big 12 and again i think he might be the best quarterback in this conference so now to go against myself though that culture there, West Virginia is like a eight nine win seven win culture with no defense really normally so probably not a college football playoff contender just based off of that, uh, but yeah it's probably it's probably Oklahoma or bust though now to, even though I've kind of given a couple teams I would say it's definitely more Oklahoma or bust than any other Big Twelve team making the playoff. Yeah, what I. About you?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll just straight up answer the question with a yes answer. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say it's Oklahoma or bust in terms of the, like the big 12, you know, conference title, but if, but if the big 12 is making the playoffs, it's going to be Oklahoma. It's going to be no one period. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll say that just, you know, I'll go back to, you know, typically the best quarterback in the big 12 is going to win the conference. Um, basically, you know, with guys coming back, that pretty much gives you a West Virginia, um, West Virginia had, you know one of the worst defenses in in the country last year worse than OU's i, I just I, I can't imagine they're going to have that much of a turnaround this year um in, in that respect and that leaves me with lee i, I think i think kyler murray is going to be the best quarterback in the big 12 this upcoming year um i i just do um so i don't i i think as of right now i'm probably leaning towards i i, I don't i i don't think ou is going to make the college football playoff um but i mean yeah i, I think um if you're going with the logic that the best quarterback in the big 12 always wins the big 12 and I think the best quarterback is Kyler Murray, then there you go. I just, and yeah, I, I agree. I think, I, I think Texas is probably a bigger threat than West Virginia is. i um, not entirely convinced that Sam Ellinger can make enough throws right now for Texas to be a college football playoff contender. But you know, I, I think, I think Texas is going to be very much formidable or much more formidable this
2: year, much more competitive this year. All right, I want to thank TJ and Shane for those questions. Appreciate that. Glad, uh, glad to get the feedback. Uh, anybody else that one wants to ask us anything or questions, comments, concerns, we are all for it. Well, I think we've uh, reached the end of the show. And I will say, fair warning, we are planning to go on a bit of a break in the near future. Now, with the NFL draft in the rearview mirror, summer's almost here. It's about time Grant and I step back, recharge the batteries. I'll, I'll say prepare for the fall, even though we're still pretty far away from that fall season, unfortunately. So I got to say, here's, the, here's a tentative schedule. We will do a show next week. We're going to do one more show next week. And the main thing that I want to do on this show, and I haven't even talked to Grant about this yet, so he's here about this for the first time. I, th- I think, once again, we should project the starters for the Oklahoma offense and defense. We did that a couple months ago before spring ball. So now spring ball is over. We've learned some new things. We've seen the spring game. So I think it's time for us to update those projections. See if, uh, well, certainly some things will change. I'm sure Uh, what will change. That'll be the fun part. So we'll do that on the show next week and cover any other news that, that comes up after next week, though, the plan will be to take a break. However, I have been kicking around the idea of trying to get some guests on the show, trying to figure out the logistics of that and trying to figure out some interesting people that could talk OU football with us on the show. So if I can figure that out and I can get some a good interview or something like that, then we'll we'll release those interviews kind of as an as an episode. Uh, But that's still kind of in workshop mode trying to figure that out. So that's the tentative plan moving forward. Grant, do you have any thoughts on our plan? I'm excited
0: to, uh, to to project the starters again. That's fun for me. I love doing that stuff. Like little little do people know, I, I, I sit I sit in the corner like on my days off and like do stuff like that. I love I love it, man. That's gonna be fun. Well,
2: well, that's what the listeners want to hear.
0: Good, they yeah, love that stuff too. So I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm I'm that's a great that's a great idea. I'm glad we're doing that.
2: All right. So until next week, for Grant, I am Lee. This has been West of Everest.